Now, we were talking uh, then before about my wife, Emily, and she uh, is someone who uh, has a much more interesting uh, cultural background than I do. So I am pretty much the pretty boring white guy. Like, my three out of my four grandparents were like Australian, English, Kiwi, but then I have a grandfather who is a Hungarian Jew. So I'm like, that's pretty exciting, but it's like I'm like a quarter interesting and the rest of me is boring. But Emily, she's got all four of her grandparents were Lebanese, and then her mother uh, was Brazilian and her dad is Argentinian, which means that she is culturally, she's got this completely different background to me. And she, that also means that one of the big things in these cultures, and particularly in Lebanese culture, is food. And Emily takes food very, very seriously. And if you are eating food and you are not having a good time, you're not enjoying your food, then life is the worst. Like she wants, whenever we're eating food together, she wants me to enjoy it. And if I don't enjoy it, she's like, this is terrible. We have to fix this. I'm like, I like grew up where food was like, yeah, food's all right. Like we eat it. It's pretty good. Yeah, whatever. If it's bad, like usually it is. That's why I love chicken tonight. Like it's like, eh, whatever. But she's like, no, it's got to be good. And if it's not good, things are terribly wrong. and We have to fix it. So uh, one day... Uh, we were out, uh, it was actually during a Soul Survivor in Canberra, I think a few years ago, and we went out to a food court somewhere in Canberra. You guys have uh, many of them, I'm guessing. And this particular one uh, had a snag shack. Is that what it's? Snag stand. Snag stand. I don't know where it was. It was in Canberra. And, uh, and, and I saw it there. And another thing that's important to know about, which is boring but important for this story, is that I am a glutard, which means I cannot eat gluten. And so a lot of these things which I used to be able to eat in my life are gone. And then we went to this place, the snag stand, and they just sell kind of sausages and different sausage meals, which is kind of exciting, but they all come on buns. And I was like, I can't eat that. And then Emily was like, look, Tom, they've got a gluten-free bun. I was like, oh, a gluten-free bun. That's amazing. And I, and, I looked, and I read the, the sign of what I could eat, and then there was like this American-style hot dog. And I was like, American-style hot dog? I haven't eaten a hot dog in years. I'm going to eat a hot dog. And, and I, I started imagining what it was going to be like, and I, I thought of all the, the wonderful things. I was like, there would be this great hot dog on sausage on there, and there will be, uh, be like the, the, the onion and the sauce and the cheese, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be on a gluten-free bun, which I knew would be terrible because every gluten-free food, like bun thing is terrible. Like I'm like, this is going to taste like, you know, my, my love life in high school, which is sad and disappointing. So, <laughs> so I, I was like, that'll be fine, but the rest of it, the rest of it will be amazing. And so then we ordered, and, uh, I, and Emily stayed at the table, and when I was ready, I went up and I got it, and then I saw hers, and I was like, wow, look at that majestic meal of sausage. And then I looked at mine, and I was like, oh my goodness, what is that? <laughs> and there was, there was the, the sad and disappointing bun, but then there was like this hot dog, which kind of looked less like a hot dog and more like a squashed dog. And, and I was like, is there hair on that? That doesn't look so good. And like, there was like a little bit of like the onion down one end and like someone had just on with the sauce and like, there, take it. 
stupid glutard. And then, and then I took it and I was like, oh. And I took it back to the table and I sat down. I gave Emily her. She's like, oh, this looks good. And then she looked at mine. She's like, what is that? I'm like, it's fine. She's like, it's not fine. I was like, no, it's fine. She's like, it's not fine. I was like, I'll eat it. And I, yeah. And she's like, we're going to do something about this. I'm like, I'm not doing something about that. Like, I don't do anything. Like, remember, I'm a boring white guy. She's like, I am not a boring white guy. I'm going to solve this problem. And so she was, and she was like, I'm going to go up there. I'm like, I don't want my wife having a fight for me. And she's like, I'm going to fight for myself. And so then she got up there and she was like, you will fix this. I don't know what she said, but, you know, she's like, guess what? That's my husband. And if you don't fix that, I'm going to punch you in the face. I don't know. I don't know what she said. I just sat there being like, oh, I don't need my wife to fight for me. Except now. <laughs> and, then she, and then she came back and she was like, they're making you a new one. And I was like, really? And then it came back and it looked lovely, except for the bun, which was my high school love life. And then, and then I ate it and then, and then, you know, things were at least 40% better than they could have been. And it was great knowing that I had her there to go and fight for me in something that I would definitely not fight for myself in. Like, I don't stand up for myself in almost anything, uh, except when you're like, I'm, I'm fighting with like my mobile phone provider and it's through text. I get very assertive through text. Like, I did not sign that contract. And then on the phone, I'm like, oh, hello, sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm getting distracted. But she, she went and fought for me and I was like, this feels amazing. I'm gonna have great hot dogs for the rest of my life because I have a wife who fights for me. It feels good to have someone on your side, someone who will stand up for you, someone who will turn up when you need them to, and, and deliver you when you need them to. And this story that we're going to look at, we see God doing that for his people. Not that his people had a bad hot dog experience, but something much bigger than that is going on. So if you remember from last night, uh, Bollam talked about the, the walls of Jericho that fell down. And, and so the Israelites, they've been moving through the land after this, um, they've taken Jericho, and now they've kind of had more battles. They took a place called Ai, which is spelled A-I, so I guess you say I. I? Uh, I don't know. There were pirates there. And then uh, they took Ai, and then uh, as they were moving through, then um, the other cities around started to get worried. They're like, oh, here come the Israelites, and they're like beating all these people up and taking their land like they're coming for us. And the Gibeonites... Uh, these are the people from the town Gibeon. They saw they were next in line. They're like, oh, here come the Israelites. We've got to do something about this. Like, all right, we will make a treaty with them. We will make an agreement so that they will not come and take our town. I'm like, oh, how can we do this? I'm like, ah, oh, we'll pretend we're from far away. So they got themselves some donkeys and they got some old saddlebags and they got some old moldy breads probably a bun from Snag Shack. And then they, and they got uh, some wineskins that were not new wineskins, but old cracked wineskins. And they put them on the donkeys and they walked along and, and they went up to the Israelites and like, we're from very far away. They probably put on some accent so they sound like they're far away. Like, hard, hard, we're from very far away. Like, where are you from? Like, oh, we're from Ireland, Ireland. I don't know, that's my worst bad accent ever. I was just trying not to offend anyone, so probably offended everyone. 
and, uh, and they're like, where are you from? Like, oh, so far away. And they're like, just make a treaty with us. And the Israelites were like, well, how do we know you're from far away? And they're like, oh, look, look at this bread. When it came out of the oven, it was warm when we left, and now it's all moldy. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, let's... Uh, it's true. Like, look at these wineskins. They're cracked. They were beautiful when we left. Now they're old and cracked. And the Israelites are like, oh, yeah, that's true. It's hard to fake those things. Oh. And so then, they, then they're like, oh, maybe. Should we sign a treaty with them? And they're like, yeah, yeah. No one thinks to ask God. They just chat with each other. And they're like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And they sign a treaty, which is very strange. Like, why someone would come from very, very far away and say, hey, can we sign a treaty so you won't beat us up? It'd be like if someone from Perth came over to you and said, let's make a deal that we won't throw rubbish over each other's fences. <laughs> You'd be like, sure. That seems like a nice thing to do. It means nothing. But... And that's kind of what my, the Israelites maybe were thinking. I don't know what was going through their head. They're like, yeah, let's make this treaty. And then they realize a little bit later on that these Gibeonites have come along, pretended to be something completely different because they are afraid of them. And they've made a treaty with them, and they're really from just down the road. And the Israelites are like, you tricked us. And they're like, yeah, we tricked you. Or, hey, hey, we tricked you. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then the Israelites are like, well, we're not going to kill you because we've made a treaty with you, so you can just be our slaves. And, like, and the Gibeonites are like, well, works for us. So everyone's happy. <laughs> and that's the story of the Gibeonites. Anyway, so that's chapter 9. And then chapter 10 comes along. And there are all these kings from the area, and they have seen this, and they were hoping that the Gibeonites would join them in fighting against the Israelites. They're like, why don't we all join together, and we'll all have a big fight. That'll be great. And then, then the Gibeonites go and make a treaty with the Israelites, and everyone's angry at them. Like, it's like if you've got a group of friends, and your group of friends hates that group of friends, like, they're the worst, and everyone's like, yeah, and then one person was like, yeah, they're the worst, and then goes and joins them, then you hate that person who left your group the most. And so they hate the Gibeonites, and they're like, we're going to go and get them. So they all join together, these five kings, and they all go and they start attacking the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites, they, they send a message to the Israelites, and they say, hey, Israelites, Remember that treaty we made? Well, we're being attacked. You need to come and help us. And so the Israelites are like, well, we didn't make that treaty. We better do it. So Joshua gets some of his best men together, and then they march through the night to come and rescue the Gibeonites in um, Gibeon. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, and they go there to rescue them. And uh, as, as they get there, I don't know what is going through Joshua's head at that point in time, but he might be worried, like, what's God going to do? He's gonna, is God going to turn up? Is God going to help the Israelites in this fight? Is he going to be there for them? He doesn't know. Like, God has not said anything for the last chapter. And there was that time just before where they made a treaty without consulting God, and they made a treaty with completely the wrong people and got tricked. Is God going to be like, well, you got yourself into this, you can get yourself out of it. Is that what God's going to be like? I remember when I was a kid, I really liked the idea of little athletics because I saw my friends who went to little athletics. Do you guys know what little athletics is? Yeah, good. I saw my friends doing that and they had like a uniform and sometimes they won medals. And I was like, I want a uniform. 
and I want medals because I loved the Olympics. And I was like, the closest I could get to the Olympics on a Saturday morning would be to join Little Athletics. I was like, I'm going to do that. And then I went to Little Athletics at like six in the morning on a Saturday morning and I did wear a uniform, but I didn't get any medals and I just had to run around and do athletics for like four hours, which was a real surprise to me because I didn't really think about the name at all. I thought there would just be a little amount of athletics <laughs> rather than athletics for little people. And then I was like, this is terrible. And after like two weeks, I went to mom and dad and I was like, mom and dad, can I stop? This is the worst. They're like, nah. You can do it for the rest of the year. You got yourself into this. You're going to see it through. This is your problem, mate. And so I had to keep going back. And I didn't win any medals. I did win a trophy for turning up every week and keeping my pants on. It was like, it was like the consistent effort trophy, which means like you're rubbish at everything, but you were there. So good on you, kid. And so I won that trophy, and I, I got stuck in it, and that was that. And, and maybe this is what God would do for the Israelites. Like, well, you got yourself into it. This is your problem. You deal with it. I'm not helping. But when you look at the story, you see that God turns up, and he turns up in a big way. Uh, he, he makes uh, this promise to uh, Joshua in verse 8. He says, Do not be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Joshua was able to have courage at that point to not be afraid to go into the battle knowing that God was going to be with him. And so they start this battle and God sends all these people into confusion, which makes it much easier for the Israelites to be able to win at their fight. And then when everyone starts running away and the Israelites pursue them, then God sends hailstones down on these people and and strikes them down, and there are more people killed by the hailstones than are killed by the Israelites who are pursuing them, because God doesn't leave them to their own mess, and he turns up for them. Now, some of you might be at this point wondering, going, this, this is a little bit, like, unpleasant. Like, there is a lot of killing going on right now, and I don't know how I feel about this. Like, if you read the book of Joshua, there is a lot of killing that goes on in the book of Joshua. You've got a bunch of people who turn up in the land that they don't live in and then they go through and they wipe out a bunch of people and then suddenly they do live in the land. And we probably don't feel that great about it. And so I don't have time to go into all of the context and all the arguments here, but I can give you a little bit of context about what's going on. Now, these people who are living in the land, the, the group of them are known as like the Amorites. They've got a few different names like the Amorites or the Canaanites. There's this, but there's this kind of group of people who are living there and they are all these people who are not just your normal like people who are minding their own business and everything was great and ooh, lovely and then suddenly these people turned up and just started killing them and kicking them out of their land. It wasn't quite like that. These are people who worshipped uh, a bunch of different gods. They didn't worship the god that we worship and not that that's a reason to go around killing people, um, but, they didn't, they, but in their worship practices they acted in ways that were terrible. They had these one worship practices where they would often go out and get drunk and sleep with people, which uh, is also not a reason to kill people. Um, but they also had this god, one god they worshipped called Molech. And Molech, the way that they worshipped that god was by killing their children. They would sacrifice their children to this god. And God, our god, knew this, and he wasn't impressed with that. And so he, was, he said, there is going to be a time when these guys are going to be judged for their sin. 
And if you go all the way back in your Bible uh, to Genesis chapter 15, and you don't have to now, but if you want to know it, that's where it is. And God talks to Abram, who becomes Abraham, and he says uh, that at some point, his descendants are going to come back into the land. And he says that it's not going to happen for four generations, but then he says, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites have not, has not yet reached its full measure. And what this means is that God was waiting for year after year after year after year for these guys to turn to him, to turn their back on their old ways of worship, to turn, to turn away from their worship where they were killing their own children. But they didn't. And so the Israelites come through as God's judgment. And it's not, <clears throat> excuse me, and this is not about, uh, this is not saying this is what everyone should do at every point in time, but at that point in time, that was what God was doing to secure the land for his people and to bring judgment on these people. And now I, I still am not reading that and going, well, look, this is a great book. I'm entirely comfortable with it. But it does help us to see, well, there is a lot more going on here than just what we read in our first point of contact with this. And, and we don't have to feel comfortable with this because God is not here to make us feel comfortable. And God doesn't need, a, need me to defend him. He will do what he does, but he also has good reasons for doing what he does. So, this is what's going on here. The sin of the Amorites has reached its full measure. And God is at work. And so as they pursue uh, the people... Uh, this amazing thing happens. Joshua prays this, uh, this prayer, which is the most, one of the most audacious prayers in the Bible, maybe the most audacious. He says this, and if you have a look in your Bibles now, at verse 12, it says, on the, day the Lord, oh, sorry, yeah, on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Agilon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Like that is some prayer to pray. To be like, God, could you just stop the sun? Could you stop the moon? Could you like pause time so that we can, you know, press our advantage in this battle? That is a big prayer to pray. Like if I pray to God and I'm like, God, please give me a parking spot. Like that feels pretty, pretty audacious. Or I'm like, God, please help the Justice League movie not to be terrible. Like that feels audacious. Oh God, give me great abs. Like that feels audacious. And God doesn't always answer those prayers, but he did give me great abs. So thank you, God. <laughs> That's not true, but he does give me a parking spot. So abs, parking spot, parking spot's better. There's chicken tonight at the end of the parking spot, not at the end. No abs at the end of the chicken. That doesn't matter. You don't expect God to answer all your prayers, and particularly the big ones, and sometimes he does. Well, in fact, always he does. Sometimes he does, and he does big, and sometimes he's like, yeah, nah, you're not getting that. <laughs> what are you asking for? Come on. And so you'd think he'd do that. You'd think Josh would be like, 
make the sun stand still. And God would be like, yeah, nah. But you think God would be like, hey, Joshua, you don't even know what you're asking. You know, the earth, you don't know this, but the earth is traveling around the sun. It doesn't, the sun doesn't just go across the sky. It's traveling around the sun at 107,000 kilometers per hour. And do you know what? At the same time that the earth is doing that, it's also doing these ones and spinning on its axis at about 1,600 kilometers per hour. And you just say, oh, just stop it. You want me just to pause the earth? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and he does. He pauses the earth. Time stands still. And, and, and this is what the Bible says about it. The amazing thing, it says that the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and was delayed from going down about a day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day, and you'd think it would be like a day when time stood still, but that's not what it says. It says a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. The amazing thing in this is that God listened to Joshua. And you might be like, but God listens to people all the time. And he answers prayer all the time. But look at this prayer again. You know what? Joshua doesn't pray and say, God, can you please make the sun stand still? He prays to God and then commands the sun to stand still. Like that's even more audacious. It's like if I turn up to your house and you've got like a Google Home. I don't know if you do, but let's pretend you do. And there's a few more things to pretend in this story as we keep going. But I, I, and I turn up to your house and I'm like, okay, Google. And it's like, yes. And I'm like, please buy me a Lamborghini. <laughs> and Google's like, sure thing. And so then Google orders a Lamborghini and then your credit card company rings you up and says, um, we've got an order for a Lamborghini. Should we put that through? And you're like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> like that's kind of like what it is because I didn't say to you, hey, can you buy me a Lamborghini? And you made a choice. I just did it. And then you just decided, oh yeah, that's fine. This is what Joshua does. He's like, son, stop it. Moon, stay there. And God's like, fine. <laughs> like, this is a big deal. God allows this to happen. Why? Because he does it because he listens to Joshua. And surely the Lord was fighting for Israel that day. That God listens and God turns up and God is fighting on their side. And the question, I think, that we will be asking for ourselves is, can we be sure that God will fight for us? Can we be sure that God will turn up for us when we need him to? And my guess is that some of us look at this question and we aren't sure. And some of us respond like the Gibeonites and some of us respond like Joshua and the Israelites. Some of us respond like the Gibeonites because we know that, that we have not been doing the things that are right. And we know that our sin has reached its full measure and that if God wanted to deal with us, he could just wipe us out in a tick. But we're like, mm, maybe I'll just pretend and God will just think that I'm pretty good. If I just show him that I'm a good person, if I can pretend, I'll trick God into thinking that I'm good. I hate going to the dentist. It's the worst. And when I go to the dentist, I go and then the dentist is like, uh. Oh, you haven't been here in a while. And then the dentist pulls out like their, their like pokey metal thing and they stick it in my gums like, ear, 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 ear. And, then the, and then I start bleeding everywhere and the dentist is like, oh, oh, that's no good. You're bleeding quite a lot. It's like, yeah, you stabbed me in the mouth multiple times. Of course I'm going to bleed. I'm like, oh, you better floss. I'm like, you better floss. 
And then I go away and I floss for like two days and then I give up. And then six months later, there's like my alarm goes off. It's like, dentist in one week. I'm like, oh man. So I start flossing. I floss for a week so that when I turn up to the dentist, the dentist will be like, have you been flossing? I'm like, yeah, every day. <laughs> because I have for the last week. And I think that the dentist won't be able to see through my, my you know, flossing routine. But of course, the dentist can see through my flossing routine. The dentist can see everything. Dentists know all lies. And they were like, no, you're just a liar. And then they're going to stab me in the mouth a bit more. You can't trick a dentist and you definitely can't trick God. But we are like God. Look, God, I've turned up to church. I know that's a weird connection, but it's like, God, I turn up to church every week. Don't think about what I did the rest of the week. Oh, God, I've been going to youth group. Oh, God, I've been praying. Just don't notice the other stuff. And we hope that God will just leave it because we want him to turn up when we need him to. Or then some of us are going to be like the Israelites. And we know that, you know, we haven't been doing the things we should but we just hope that God will turn up. And we're not going to pretend, we're just going to hope. Like when I don't study, didn't study for my exams, like I literally would like read my textbook on the train on the way to my college and, and then I'd pray on the way to college and be like, God, I did not study, but if I can pass, that'd be great. Because, I don't know, I've got nothing to stand on and we're just like, God, I'm hoping and we're not sure, but maybe he'll turn up. Well, the promise of this, the promise of the Bible is actually that, one, we don't need to pretend with God because he knows us better than we know ourselves. But two, we don't have to be unsure whether God will turn up and fight for us. Because the promise of the Bible is that he already has. The promise of the Bible is that God has come to us in his son Jesus. And that in Jesus Christ, God has seen us as we truly are. And God has lived with us and God has shown us how to live. But also in Jesus Christ, God has spoken to us. Jesus spoke about how there would be a time when the sin of the world reaches its full measure. That God's judgment will come upon the earth. And we will pay for the things that we have done. That is a promise of the Bible. That there is a judgment that is coming. But what we see when we look at the life of Jesus is that before the judgment falls on us, that it has fallen on Jesus first. That as Jesus went to the cross, the sun did not stand still, but it went dark. And there was darkness that covered the land. And, and the earth did not pause, but the earth shook. And graves broke open because God died on a cross. The judgment of God fell on the Son of God. And that judgment led to his death and it was not a senseless, useless death, but it was a death that was paying the price for us. So that we do not have to face the judgment of God, but it's already all fallen on Jesus. And so that when we turn to Jesus, we can say, I don't need to pretend that I am better than I am. You know me at my worst. You know me better than I know myself. You know my deepest, darkest thoughts and still you sent your son to die for me. 
And I don't need to worry about whether or not you'll turn up because you already did turn up. You turned up when you came to earth. You turned up on that cross 2,000 years ago. I don't need to worry. Surely God has fought for us when he fought sin and death at the cross for us in Jesus Christ. We do not need to be unsure about if God will turn up. We do not need to be unsure if God is going to be on our side. We do not need to be unsure if God loves us. We've seen it clearly in the cross of Jesus Christ. The question is, are you willing to accept it? Do you want to be someone who has the courage to face yourself and say, I know who I am. I know that I have not lived up to the things that I should have. I have not treated other people the way I should have. I've ignored God. I've hurt others. I've done the wrong thing. And I should be facing the judgment of God. Do we have the courage to say that? And do we have the courage to say, God, I don't have anything to offer you, but still I'm going to trust that you fought for me on that day at the cross. And you know, the promise of the Bible is that when we see Jesus, that he didn't stay dead, he rose again so that we can be sure that what he did was effective, that he came back to life so that if we trust in him, we can come back to life too, that death doesn't come to us and we stay dead, but we die, and it's just for a short time. The Bible talks about us asleep, and then we live forever with Jesus, and that life forever with him even starts as soon as you start trusting in him. So what I want to do now is I want to give you the opportunity. If you are here this week and you have not offered your life to Jesus, that maybe you're the person who is like the Gibeonites and you've been pretending that you're good enough for God, seeing if you can trick him when you know deep down you can't. And you want to say, I'm sick of pretending. I'm going to be real with God. And I'm going to say, i got nothing to offer, but I need what you did for me and your son, Jesus. If you want to do that, then I want to give you the opportunity to respond. Or maybe you're the person who's never said to God, look, uh, I want to be sure that you, you saved me and your son, Jesus. I don't want to rely on myself. I don't want to go through life just hoping maybe that you'll turn up. I want to know for sure. I want to say claim that for sure you turned up when you went to the cross for me do you want to be that person do you want to give your life to jesus now to say i am sorry for what i've done wrong and i give myself to him may i live for him because i know that he fought for me on that day i want to give you the opportunity to do that now the way we're going to do this is we're going to uh we're going to have silence uh for not a really long time, maybe about 10 seconds, 20 seconds, something like that. It won't be really long, but we're going to close our eyes. And I want you to ask God. And if you're someone who has already given your life to Jesus, then I just want you to pray. I want you to pray for the people around you. And if you're someone who hasn't given your life to Jesus, then I want you to say, God, should I give myself to you now? And if you feel the Holy Spirit working in you and saying, yep, it's time, then what I want you to do is I just want you to stand and I'll tell you when it's time. And we've been talking about courage and it's going to take courage to stand. I want you to stand and say, yep. 
I'm sick of pretending. And I'm sick of being unsure. I want to be, know that I am known and know that I am safe because I'm putting my trust in Jesus Christ. All right, let's do that now. Let's close our eyes. And let's, let's ask God that question. Is now the time to commit to Him?